It is such a delight to be with you here today. I've enjoyed the, I think this is the 10th time that I've been permitted to come over here and be with you. And I'm thankful for that. And here we are close to the end of the year. Next Sunday will be the 31st of the month and the following day will be New Year's Day. Well, we want to bring an old story. We want to bring a story that's been written for over 2,000 years and has been spoken from for that long. It tells us about a wonderful event, the coming of the Messiah. In the Old Testament, he's called the Messiah. In the New Testament, he's called Christ. That's two words. One is a Hebrew word, one's a Greek word, but they mean the same thing. Messiah, someone to take care of the problem that developed as a result of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden. We needed help. We can't get there by ourselves. We need help. We need a Savior. You know, this last week, Nancy and I were over on the coast, and it, there was a plaque there in the parking lot at Rockaway Beach. And my daughter noticed it first, and I went looking for it. Now, it was a sad plaque because it told the name of a young man who made an attempt to save somebody that was drowning out there in the ocean. And in the, in the uh, course of events, the young man that attempted to be the Savior drowned himself and was drug out to sea. Now, he tried to deliver somebody he'd never met before from drowning. Now, when it comes to salvation eternal salvation, we want someone better than that. We want somebody that can actually do the job. We want someone that will not let go of us, will not just make an attempt, will not just try to deliver us, but we want someone who will save his people from their sin. That's what we want. And that's who we want to talk about today. The The Bible tells us all through the Old Testament. Someone is coming. Someone is coming. Someone is coming. Someone is going to come to take care of the problem. Now, over in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the first verse that shares with us about good news that would take care of the problem, it says there that the seed of the woman would take care of the problem. It doesn't say there that the seed of the man, the seed of the woman, now, we find out when Adam fell that when he ate that fruit, some catastrophic events took place. But when his wife Eve took that fruit and ate it, nothing happened. There was no darkness, no knowledge of sin. There was no problem. But as soon as he gave, she gave it to her husband and he did eat, then there was a catastrophic problem and he died spiritually. Now, in verse 15 of chapter 3, it says, someone is going to come to take care of this problem. Well, in, uh, we call it zero years. I grew up with B.C. and A.D. <laughs> They've changed it now. I don't even remember what it is. But everything before Christ, they had an age. Everything after Anto Domine, after Christ, there was that. And we're in 2023 A.D. That's the way I'm going to say it. Well, Jesus was born in year zero then. Year zero. He's the beginning of the change of time. There's so much about him 
that was totally changed everything. The prophets of old spoke of him. They said, here is going to be born in Bethlehem. And he's going to be born in a very, very special way. You know, I used to be concerned because I just could not get my mind wrapped around somebody being born of a virgin. But you know, God created man of the dust of the ground, and we don't question that. So I don't question that anymore. He has the power, the strength, the authority to do what he wants to do. And so he created a body inside of the womb of a woman that had never knew a man. And that's what she said. How can this be? And she finally said, be it unto me according to thy word. Now, in the day and time that we're talking about, she probably was a very despised young woman because she was pregnant without being married. They looked down her nose. You know what? Joseph could have had her stoned to death. That was the law. But he, being a proper man, not wanting to put her to any public shame, he was going to put her away privately. They weren't married yet. They were engaged. He was going to put her away privately. And God Almighty came to him and said, Nope. This one, Mary, has the Savior. She is bearing the Savior. And don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And you're going to name her, excuse me, you're going to name him Jesus. And then the angel gave Joseph the reason why he was going to be named Jesus. He shall, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall do it. He is going to save his people from their sins. So from eternity past, it had been in the mind of God and in the purpose of God to save a people before they even fell in the garden. And here we have it carried out. In the second chapter of the book of Luke, we have an account that I like. Now, Matthew and Luke both share with us about the birth of the Lord Jesus. And in the book of Luke, it shares with us in chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, Let me get there. All right. It says there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, what in the world would a Caesar in Rome have to do with about a baby being born in Bethlehem? Well, Mary and Joseph lived in a town of Nazareth. Now, that's kind of like living in Dufer. You know where Dufer is. It's a little burg. And they needed to be in hmm, Madras. So Caesar Augustus, he was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He sent out a decree. Now, according to what we find, we find that if they traveled with that news of that decree across the Mediterranean Sea, they had to travel over 1,400 miles. Now, they didn't have motorboats like we have today. They had sailboats, and it took them some time. And if they didn't do that and they traveled by land, it was over 2,500 miles that they had to travel with the news of this decree. Caesar Augustus wants everybody enrolled for future taxation. You know, this decree went out also in all of the Roman Empire. And we know that as France and Italy and much of Germany and Turkey and Egypt and many other countries were in the Roman Empire. And they got the same decree. But there is only one 
person or one family mentioned in the Bible that was really affected by this decree. And it was Joseph and his espoused wife, Mary. And they both lived in Nazareth, and she is great with child. Now, today we had someone in church, and she, I asked, she just said, she has a month to go. Well, mamas, you know what that is at a month before you give birth. And then the ninth month, my wife, oh my goodness, she was in agony every day during that ninth month because that baby was kicking around and all that stuff. Well, Mary is required by the law to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem in this condition. Now, why? Because God decreed it. She needed to be where the prophet of old had said the Messiah would be born, and that was in Bethlehem. So God moved an emperor 1,400 miles away to move a decree so that they would be in the right place at the right time. So there went out the decree, this decree, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, it's interesting. I like the, the names. What, what names mean? My name is Norman, and it means of the north, a north man, probably a Viking. I'd like to think so. <laughs> well, names are interesting. The name of the Dalles is an interesting name. The name of Jerusalem is an interesting name. But Bethlehem, Bethlehem had so much to say about the Lord Jesus Christ because it means house of bread. And you know what he called himself? The bread of life. So the very place that he was born meant something. Now, later in his life, some people are going to be uh, informed about Jesus of Nazareth, and that person is going to say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, Nazareth was not a good place to grow up, but he grew up there. He's a carpenter's son, and his mom and stepfather have at least six more children. Four of them were boys, and their names are given in the Scripture. And then it says sisters, so I learned in English that that was plural, so there was at least two sisters. There might have been more. So they have a rather large family after Jesus is born. He is called the firstborn son on purpose because he did not have the effects of the fall. He is the God-man. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. We find in the book of John that he is the word was made flesh, and that word means God. God was made flesh. He came down to this earth and was made flesh. He had a body just like we are, and yet the scriptures are very clear. Yet without sin. How important is that? Is to have a Savior that is without sin. We can't take care of anybody else's because we have a boatload of our own. But he didn't have sin, so he was selected in the covenant of grace to take care of the sin of his people. And in some miraculous way, God was able to take all the sins of all his people and place it on him, impute it to him. And when he died, he could totally pay for it. That's, I love that kind of gospel. I love a gospel that takes care of my sin. And I love a savior that can actually save me and not just hang on to me until it came too late and let me slide. 
You know, as we look at this, we find out that Jesus came exactly at the right time. Paul wrote in the book of Galatians and said, but when the fullness of time was come, did you know that we were born on exactly this right day? Appointed by God, right day, right place. But it really means something when we read about the Lord Jesus Christ that he was born on the right day, in the right place, and had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose from the very beginning in mind. And it tells us there in the book of Luke, and so it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Her baby was born. It says, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, this is such a special son. This is a son that has no sinful effects on. This is a son that has no sin. This is a son that's impeccable. This is a son that could not sin at all. You know, I was visiting with a young man the other day, and, and I made this point. He never had a pimple. He never had a cold. He never was sick. He never had any of those childhood diseases. He never had any effect of the fall on him. He was the perfect son. Now, the other six that came along probably surprised Mary and Joseph a lot because they were affected by that, and they did have childhood diseases, and they did know the word no. <laughs> you know, tell their mom and dad no. Well, the Lord never had that problem. He never argued with his parents. He never argued with Mary. He never argued. It was the perfect son of God. And it goes on to tell us here, and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And the reason for it was they went down there hoping for a room. Now, Nancy and I went up to uh, Washington one time to see our son who was in the Navy. And we just knew that we could find a motel room. Well, we stopped and talked to several motels, called several more. Guess what we got to do? Sleep in our car. Because we had not made the proper advance notice. We slept in our car, which we didn't do a very good sleep in. Well, anyway, they went down there with the idea, I'm sure, that they were going to find a motel room of some kind. And when they got down there, there was no room in the inn. Well, this is really indicative of the kind of life that most people think about the Lord Jesus. They don't have time for him. They have time for a Jesus that they help to get saved, but they don't have time for a Jesus that is the Savior of his people. And he goes on to tell us here, and lo, the angel of the Lord, oh, they, there's some shepherds in the, in the country at this time, and they're watching over their flock. I think that that's very interesting that here we have the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd in one body, Jesus Christ. He's going to be called that throughout his ministry. In fact, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He is going to be a shepherd. He's going to be the best shepherd. He's going to be the great shepherd. He's going to be the chief shepherd. And yet we have some shepherds are the first ones that are given the message that the Messiah has been born. The one that's going to take care of the problem. It says, there were shepherds 
abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were afraid. (laughs) They'd never had an event like this. They'd never seen the glorious light like this. They'd never seen anything like this, and they were sore afraid. And the angel of the Lord says, fear not. We're bringing you the best news you could ever hear. We want to bring the gospel. We want to bring good tidings. I like good tidings, don't you? Sure beats bad tidings. I like good tidings. I like good news. I like good news. My wife was traveling the other day alone, and when she got to our house, ah, it was good news. Traveled 90 miles, not knowing exactly how she's doing, but when she got home, it was good news. Well, here we have, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And this is the news. This is what people have been looking for since the very beginning. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Messiah the Lord, which is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's what all of the Old Testament type shadows and pictures were pointing to. Here he is. You know, it's not going to be very much longer. When he's eight days old, he's taken to the temple. And there is an old man there, probably up in his 80s. And he walks up to Mary. She's carrying Jesus and walks up to Mary and takes that baby out of his, her, her arms and looks at him and says, Now, this man had been told he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He'd not seen the Messiah. He would not pass from this life until he had seen the Messiah. And he took that baby up and said, Lord, I can die in peace now, for I have seen thy salvation in a baby. Well, this baby grew up. Twelve years of age, we find him in the temple, and the doctors of the law question him. At 30, he goes to a man by the name of John and says, you know, I must fulfill all righteousness. And he submitted himself to baptism. That didn't save him, never saves anybody. But he wanted to picture what the fulfillment of all righteousness is, and that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went through three years of ministry, At the end of three years, you'd think he'd be pretty successful. You know what they did to him? They arrested him. But he said this about his own arrest. I lay down my life. No man takes it from me that I might take it up again. He submitted to that. He gave himself to that because that's the way he was going to give his life a ransom for many. This baby grew up. We know him as Jesus Christ the Lord. We know him as the Messiah. We know him as the one who went to the cross. We know him as the one that said, it is finished. When he suffered all that he did on the cross, as God the Father poured out the wrath of justice on him, he came out the other side and said, it is finished. Salvation is complete. My people shall come unto me and find salvation. What a glorious event. You know, I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came born of a virgin, just like it says, born in Bethlehem, just like it says, did exactly what the Old Testament prophet said he would do, and then comes down to the right time. He submitted himself 
to the most inglorious death on the behalf of his people and raised the third day. We're talking about Easter already. Raised the third day and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for all his people. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. What joy it is. And then it tells us, I'm going to leave the book of Luke for just a moment. It tells us in the book of Hebrews, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He died in the place of all his people. They have, you know, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. Ye must be born again. And that's what he does. He is the savior of his people. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We'll stop there, and I'll ask Mike to come and bring us a closing hymn. And we